Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. Real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. And I got with me Chuck Nice, co host. Right. How are you, buddy? Tweeting at Chuck Nice Comic. Thank you, sir. Yes. You have to tell people that you're funny so that they'll laugh at your tweet. Um, otherwise, how would they know? <laughs> so, Chuck, no one isn't a fan of Albert Einstein. That is true. He's like the modern icon of what it is to be smart. And he's also somebody that, uh, he's so smart that people use him as the singular example of being smart. And his name is an adjective. Right. Or, 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 what are you, or, some kind of Einstein? <laughs> you know what he said about himself when he was- I haven't kid? introduced you yet, Jana. <laughs> Jana just busting in. I'm trying to, trying to like- I'm like so impatient. Warm up my homie here, and now you got to bust in. All right, since you busted in, Jana Levin, always good to have you on Star Talk. Always good to be here. You're one of our Star Talk all-stars. I am. And now you're like hosting your own- PBS shows and stuff. Yeah. It's really? good for us. Yeah. You the whole thing on black holes. I, I, I pretend it's my evil twin. No. Oh my God. Yeah. There was we Jana. Have a show on black holes out. Jana was working it, man. With all space, kinds of spacesuits. High tech at CGI. Nice. Spacesuits and stilettos because you need stilettos. In she space. had a spacesuit. That's very cool. <laughs> of course, all spacesuits are shiny because apparently uh, uh, stars are brighter in the future and you got to reflect the sunlight. Well, now, you guys are talking about shiny clothes and stilettos. If you're, <laughs> He's you're trying to now. arouse me, I'm just telling you. It's working. It's working. <laughs> so, so Jana, you're a professor uh, of physics at uh, Barnard in Columbia. Mm, yeah. And so thanks for coming in for this. I'm so glad to be here. Just to help us sort of, I know a little bit about Einstein, but that's a subset of what you know about Einstein. And that's why we got you on the show. I really wanted to give my Einstein quip though about the adjective of Einstein. Well, tell me. What do you think? He said, he said about himself, when I was a student, I was no Einstein. Ah, <laughs> did he really say that? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, it's, Let us declare the legend here and now. Google, man. Google and see <laughs> if it's a, a verifiable quote. So you've written a couple of books, and what's listed here does not include that book. But I'm going to mention it anyway. How the Universe Got Its Spots. Yeah. Very nice. Very, very Rudyard Kiplerian of you. Yes, yes, definitely reference to how the leopard got his spot. Yes, definitely. And also most recently, Black Hole Blue. Mm, Nobody says it better than you. And other songs of outer space. Black Hole Blue. I'm a fan of the blues. A fan of Toto. So what was that book about, just broadly? 
So the book really follows the recent announcement of the gravitational wave detection from the collision of two black holes, but it precedes the detection. So the story is really about the climbing Mount Everest aspect of embarking on a very long-term uh, scientific experiment that may or may not succeed. And so it's called Black Hole Blues because Ray, who won the Nobel Prize in 2017, along with Kip Thorne and um, Barry Barish, said to me literally the month before the detection, 50 years into this endeavor, if we don't detect black holes, he said, this whole thing's a failure. Ooh. Yeah, but then now, now we don't have to worry about that because it didn't happen that way, see? <laughs> but <laughs> right. New song Atlas came out to be what it was. Lago, that's what I'm talking about. But there is this interesting idea it was that in you Louisiana. can Louisiana. fail. Louisiana. I mean, everyone spoke Cajun. That's <laughs> <laughs> because the experiment was in Louisiana. <laughs> you, know, you have to think, though, about the prospect of failure 50 years into an experiment that has a lot of negativity against it, even from other accomplished scientists, and that this is something we don't understand about science is that the risk of failure, if you're not really risking big, you're not out there enough. Right. So uh, it's, it's uh, think big or go home. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Albert Einstein was born uh, in Germany on March 14th, 1879. Mm. And Chuck, do you know what day that is? Um, 1879, March 14th? March 14th. In uh, any year. In any year. Yeah, what day of the year is March 14th? I, I believe it's the day that precedes the Ides of March. What, what is March 14th? I really don't know. <laughs> Before the Ides of March, there's Pi Day. Oh, my God. Yes. 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 I, okay. I didn't know it was actually March 14th, but yeah. of course that makes point, sense. Three, four, three, one, four. One, four. Yeah. Right. You get Pi to March 14th. When written in sort of the American way where we put the month before the day of the month. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, exactly. So 3.14. That's Pi Day. Then you get really geeky. Mm -hmm. And then at... 159, right? 3.1415, 159 and 26 seconds. Right. Uh, and you get a full up pie moment. Can nice. I just suggest that that's probably the co access code to every physics department in the world? <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty funny. That's the one, two, three, four yeah, of like physics departments. <laughs> If you walk up to a sealed theoretical physics department, try, try 3.1415. And you'll get it. Yeah. Oh, my God, it worked. And, 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 and tomorrow, the missiles got launched. It'd be all because of chat. <laughs> yeah, People I shouldn't reveal these things. Stuff out. So let's, let's, let's talk about this. So, uh, Jana, how, what is the Annus Mirabilis? Or, and, why, and why do we even say that in Latin? Why can't we just say it in English? His miracle year. It, it's, well... I don't know why do we say it in Latin? That's a different question. We'll just okay. talk about the miracle year first. It's America, Jack. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> so 1905? Yeah, 1905. 1905. How old is he? T 25. Yeah, yeah, 20, yeah. Um, so Einstein was a clerk in a patent office, and um, he couldn't get a job in a physics department. His father was desperately writing to famous theoretical physicists saying, you know, my son's really committed. And, um, like any dad. and he couldn't get hired. Well, yeah, yeah. One of his professors called him a lazy dog. And here he is in this patent office in Bern, Switzerland, and he has a drawer at his desk that he calls the physics department. <laughs> and in this drawer, he has these scientific papers he's working on in between finessing other people's patents to make them better. Wow. Um, 
And in that year, he has this extraordinary year where he publishes a series of three papers that absolutely transform modern physics. Um, one of them is on the special theory of relativity. Mm-hmm. One of them is on Brownian motion, which refers to the atomic aspect of mm-hmm. air and molecules. Like if you see a little piece of lint, you notice that it takes this zigzaggy pattern, and that's because it's all these little molecules, atoms. Hang on. Mm-hmm. And um, the photoelectric effect, which is staggering because it, it, it probes the wave-particle duality of light, that sometimes light acts like a wave and sometimes it acts like a particle. Did this by the time I was 26? Yeah. Chuck, how, how old are you? And unemployed. Verify. I'm 22. Okay. <laughs> There's still time. Oh, I got time. Okay, you got time. Thank you for verifying <laughs> that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, we call it an Annus Mirabilis. Why do we say it in Latin? Because it was all in German? Yeah. <laughs> did that get him a job? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, he became, he, he did become... To, to the credit of the scientific community, even though this outsider was publishing these papers, it was very swiftly accepted, the significance of all these papers, very swiftly. And that should also be a lesson to those many people who send me their theories, <laughs> <laughs> that when they're transparently correct, yeah. they are grabbed at with glee. Right. And, all, the, um, all the most amazing, mind-blowing, earth-shaking scientific research was published in legitimate journals. Accepted yeah. by peers. Yes. By peer-reviewed. You, you yeah. can, so, so as, as they say, to be a genius is to be misunderstood. Right. But to be misunderstood is not to be a genius. genius. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. That <laughs> so you can't come to me and say, I'm, I have an idea, but the establishment is not, they're going to reject it. Therefore, right. it's brilliant. Therefore, right. <laughs> they don't get this, man. They just don't understand. Right, yeah. right. I'm right, starting yeah. a Facebook page for everyone to... Evaluate, you know, so they don't have to come to us. Oh, you right. They just amongst themselves. Talk amongst yourselves. Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> yeah. Well, now, now we have Twitter for that. You know I mean, it's... now he didn't call it special theory of relativity. So when who who, who called it special? Um, that's interesting. I, maybe I actually don't know specifically the history. I mean, why do we have you the... on the show? Because <laughs> uh, I could explain. Someone relativity. out there know why? <laughs> I mean, the general theory obviously came later when he included the curvature of space time, but I don't know who actually coined it special. It was just the theory of relativity at the time. Because right, the paper was on the electrodynamics of moving bodies. Mm-hmm. That's the name of that paper. paper. Yeah. Of the special relativity paper. Grabbing title. <laughs> but the amazing thing. So, so that was, wait, 1905. Yeah. Then a general theory comes out when? 1915. So that's 10 years. Yeah. And he basically pulled that out of... I mean, it's out of the ether. It's probably published in 1916, but it's okay. like it's 10 or 11 years of struggling with the mathematics to elevate um, what we now call the special theory to the general theory. Working alone. Yeah, I mean, he was being influenced by people like Grossman, who was a mathematician. Hilbert was very influential. Mm-hmm. So Einstein wrote down several wrong theories along the way. And there's actually a kind of adorable story when he was thinking about something like gravitational waves, where he kept changing his mind in print. He would write papers, He's say they're real. Adorable for a physics story. Yeah, well, yeah. Let's 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 the record adorable for a physics story. <laughs> let the record catch that. <laughs> Pause for a right. moment. Right. <laughs> Uh, Yeah. Right after this, believe me, we're going to get to some very darling theories. (laughs) (laughs) Cheeks, you just want to pinch. He writes a paper saying 
uh, gravitational waves are not real. Then he writes a paper saying they are. Then he writes another paper several years later saying that they're not. In between acceptance of this paper and publication, he sneaks in a draft of a manuscript that says that they are. And one of his colleagues says, Einstein, you have to be really careful. Your famous name is going to be on these papers. And he just laughs. He says, my name is on plenty of wrong papers. You know, you do not need to worry about that. So it takes him a long time. I mean, there's decades of him figuring out gravitational waves. And the general theory was 11 years and he needed help from other people. He wrote down what several wrong theories. I <laughs> know. <laughs> a dead beat. Einstein. <laughs> Dumbass. <laughs> no. Ten years. Is that is that actually is, is that actually something that is did that do anything to In retrospect, that is short order. Right. Look at string theory. We're 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 decades deep. It's still yeah. in it for decades. Yeah, after it decades might be it might be hundreds of years. I mean, there's no and that's and that's, that's dozens turnaround. of leaders in the field. Really brilliant people. And, and we have one guy. Einstein. I himself. Basically. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I didn't mean to take away Jenna's point that there are others trying to push things right, along. They're nudging him along. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. They're nudging him along because he's actually uh, putting something out there to be nudged. Yeah. Right? yeah. I mean, it was oh, good really point. interesting. Good it was really interesting that it was, it was really him on the, I mean, largely there were other physicists, but him largely on the physics side and the mathematicians pulling him up mm-hmm. because he was not actually the most sophisticated mathematical thinker. Another one of my Einstein quotes is he says, you think you have a lot of difficulty with mathematics? You should see my difficulties mm-hmm. with mathematics. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was a very intuitive thinker. And he really originally rejected the idea that you had to do all of this differential calculus and this really elaborate mathematics. He thought that's ridiculous. It's totally overkill. Pure thought you could just be able think to th- it through and it'll be like algebra. Uh-huh. And he did that with the special theory. It was stunning, but he could not do that with the general theory. Wow. He had to step it up to be differential calculus on curved manifolds. No mean feat. Wow. Yeah, but it's pretty. Yes. Look, how did you do in it's differential not only calculus? It's adorable. It's pretty. I, what grade did you get in that yeah, class? I was going to say that what I kind of go with is that you don't need that. <laughs> I don't, you say, I will never need will that, never in need that in my life. Like, I actually use that. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So he does this. And then in 1921, he wins the Nobel Prize. Hmm. So, but he did so, did so many things. What did he win it for? Well, he didn't win it for relativity. Well, that ain't right. Which wow. is really interesting. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Was yeah. it the photoelectric effect? I think technically it was the photoelectric effect. Or contributions to quantum. I don't remember the phrasing. Yeah. Do you okay. have the phrasing? Oh, no, no. It was something I, I like might, contributions to quantum. Like yeah. often they're phrased in a way that... Um, it, 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 it removes it from a specific, right. Yeah. But it was not for relativity. Mm-hmm. And that is clearly his greatest accomplishment. Wow. So it's kind of like uh, if when an actor never wins an Oscar and then they're just like, all right, so we're just going to give you a lifetime achievement. <laughs> <laughs> he won it in 21, which is quite early That's, in yeah, a way. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty soon after he proposed. It's it, it's not staggeringly late after he proposed this sort of revolution of quantum thinking. Yeah. And the interesting thing is that he never really accepted quantum mechanics, right? So he initiates this revolution. What, <laughs> what, what is up with <laughs> Einstein? Just insulting <laughs> Einstein. That, wait, but wait a minute. Is that his brilliance, the fact that he was so self-contradicting? Like, he just, uh, no, I can't, it couldn't be. I think his brilliance is, I think there's something to that, which is his refusal to accept them something he didn't actually understand. That's a good point. Okay. Plus there was the, he, it was hard to, sh- you gotta remember the era he came from, mm-hmm. from the 19th century into the 20th century. This was the towering achievement of classical physics, mm-hmm. where the world, the universe was deterministic. If you tell me where to stand and I measure the motions and momentum, I will predict all future of this universe. Mm. That was a, a certain posture 
that the community of physicists has. Up comes quantum physics. Where you, is it going to? Is it wave? Is it a particle? Is it? Right. Is that some percent of the time? And that, mm -hmm. and who? And 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 what was his famous quote? He was trying to tell God what to do. What was it? Um, God doesn't play dice. Was that the? Oh word? yeah, God, God doesn't, doesn't play. play dice. No, telling God not to throw dice. Right. Oh, he tells God not to throw I dice. I think so. He said, <laughs> <laughs> God doesn't. I think, as quoted by Niels Bohr or somebody, right. God doesn't play dice with the universe. No, he I plays think roulette instead. Roulette. <laughs> he plays craps. He plays craps. You know. Yeah, no, well, no. then what does Stephen Hawking say later? God not o not only plays dice, but he sometimes throws the die where you can't see them. Yeah. Yeah. There you wow. go. There you go. So Sounds to me like God's a grifter. <laughs> so, 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 and then, and then Einstein said something else at another point about God, and and then Niels Bohr, I think it was Niels Bohr, said, Einstein, stop telling God what to do. <laughs> he just got pissed off. <laughs> All right. So, 1921, uh, we've got general. Rel so, for my for my money, uh, I think general relativity is a brilliant. Achievement in the following. I can I, let me quantify that for you. See if you agree. Mm -hmm. So, if Einstein didn't come up with a special theory of relativity in 1905, right. some combination of others in the day would have come up with the same thing probably by 1910. Hmm. But if Einstein didn't come up with general relativity in 1915, 16, I think it would have gone another 50 years undiscovered. And so this, for me, makes general relativity a greater singular achievement than special. Wow. I do think that you're right. It would have been many decades before it was discovered, if it had not been discovered by Einstein, general relativity. And That's that is you intriguing. Among your colleagues. I also think it would have looked totally different. So Einstein gave us all of this. The general theory of relativity is a theory of curved space-time, and we follow the natural curves in space, and all of this elegance... Of, of geometry, yeah. but none of it is necessary. There's a whole bunch of extra degrees of freedom in thinking about geometry that are not at all required. And I think what would have happened is that somebody like Richard Feynman, who was a particle physicist, who was thinking about interactions of particles, mm -hmm. would have discovered general relativity, but would never have hung all of the space-time language on it. Right. It would have, have just been masses, would have had a different gravitons. Um, a facade. Yeah. Yeah, it would have looked machinery, totally yeah. different and, and a completely different a completely frame different of reference. Machinery, right. Yeah. Everything uh, would have been yeah. wow, that's incredible. Yeah, I really so think it would have been like, oh, particles exchange light and that's electromagnetism. This would have been particles exchange gravitons and that's the theory of gravity. Mm. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So was Einstein more of a a poetic thinker when it came to these things? I mean, he was, where do you where do you get this kind of elegance. expanse and elegance yeah, yeah. that you can attach to what you're talking about? I mean, I don't want to presume to know, but you do have a sense that here is a very visual thinker mm. and very intuitive. And so all the space-time machinery, there might be excesses to it that are not formally required, but, but create such powerful imagery and tools that in that particular example, which is often rare, it's kind of the contrary of Occam's razor, where the extra machinery actually leads to better, clearer intuition than the total leanest abstraction of just particles exchanging gravitons. That's that's beautiful, right? Mm. That, that, that. You should write a book or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, yeah. Book in there somewhere, isn't there? Somewhere, man. Uh, we got to take a break. Uh, we come back more of our exploration of Einstein, the man, the myth, the legend on Star Trek. 
Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any of you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Bring everyone together for a great time with the Nintendo Switch system. Get the whole family in on the fun with exciting games that everyone can enjoy, like Super Mario Bros. Wonder, Animal Crossing, New Horizons, and more. Nintendo Switch has three different play modes all in one system. Play in TV mode, tabletop mode, or handheld mode when you're on the go. Visit nintendo.com us switch to learn more. Games rated E for everyone. We're back on Star Talk. I got Chuck Nice, co-host. I got Jan Eleven, old-time friend, colleague, physicist, uh, expert on the universe and all ways that matter. Especially yeah. for this conversation because we're celebrating the life and times of Albert Einstein. So, so Jana, uh, your book, The Black Hole Blues... Um, it ex- it explored the quest to measure gravity waves, yeah, and and what effort that would take. So, could you describe to me what's going on when two black holes collide, and how they're going to give us a gravity wave? Why don't they give us gravity waves all the time? Yeah. So, um, in principle, they do give us gravity waves. Oh, are we giving off gravity waves now? Yeah, right now, Chuck and I. <laughs> okay, right. You and I. <laughs> it's just pretty modest, right? So if you think about how weak gravity is, like the entire Earth is pulling on me, and with my little arm. I can like resist. Yes, can lift stuff away. Yeah, from whereas the earth. if it was charge, if there was that much charge pulling on me, I'd be liquefied. So gravity mm. is incredibly weak. Mm-hmm. It takes an entire planet I'm for it say, to even God. make it hard for me to walk. <laughs> That's a good thing, then. <laughs> yeah. There's another quick calculation you can do. Um, back when we had a space shuttle that would launch people into space, mm-hmm. if you took all the electrons out of one cubic centimeter of the nose cone, just remove the electrons and put them at the base of the launch pad. That would be the it. shuttle couldn't couldn't um, wouldn't be able to launch. Mm. Wait a minute, because well, the electrons just would be the electrons in one cubic centimeter. In one cubic centimeter. at the base of the launch pad. Right. They would be pulling on the leftover extra protons that are at the top. They would be attracting one another. Right. You would not be able to launch. Be, right, you could. Oh right. wow. So one cubic centimeter. One cubic centimeter. Yeah. Right. So the difference between the gravitational attraction between like an electron and a positron and their electromagnetic attraction is something like a trillion. Trillion trillions, so it's it's that much stronger the electrical attraction wow. than the gravitational and gravity. Attraction. It's yeah. uh, the gravitational pull. It's weak. It's like so. Gravitational waves are incredibly weak. But so what you need in order to have any aspiration, even Einstein didn't think this would be possible because he didn't think anything in the universe could possibly bring space time out hole. enough. It's pre- 
pre-black holes. So, so you need something like the tremendous radical concentration of mass and energy in a black hole. Mm. You need them not only that, but you need them to be in the final throws of their orbits together. So it's like mallets on a drum. When they get closer and closer, they're getting louder and louder. Mm -hmm. And it's like this crescendo. So when LIGO made its first detection, it was the last one-fifth of a second of the orbits of two black holes, each one about 30 times the mass of the sun, a couple hundred kilometers across. They're going very nearly the speed of light, right. and they're executing you know, a few orbits in the final one-fifth of a second, and, and boom, boom, it's finally loud enough that even though it's traveling for 1.3 billion years across the cosmos by the time it hits the Earth, if you think about the time it left, that just multi-celled organisms were differentiating on the Earth. Yes, they were. You know, and there's this race, they're building LIGO you know, in the final mm -hmm. 100 years, and then boom, when it hits, it's just barely louder. And all the while, that wave is heading towards Earth. Right. That's right. But it could have been for the previous several billion years it's been ringing the Earth, but there was nothing there right. capable of detecting it. Yeah. Now, is there any way that we could have missed it? Yeah, many ways. So that actual night that the first detection was made was supposed to be the first science run of the advanced instruments. It was um, in September 2015. And they decided they weren't ready yet. So they canceled the science run. Wow. And instead, they were there. It's like Sunday night, Monday morning, in the middle of the night, hammering on the instrument, trying to mess with it, just as tests. They're literally driving trucks along the access road, slamming on the brakes to see if it screws with the instrument. And then in the middle of the night, they get exhausted. They put their tools down, they go home. The same thing happens in Washington State. This is in Louisiana. And within the span of an hour, this thing that's been traveling 1.3 billion years Boom. smacks the instrument. Doesn't that, doesn't that tell you that this is happening more frequently than we think? Way more frequently because everyone told me, with the exception of Kip Thorne, that black holes would be years, years on, that we would detect all kinds of things first that we predict existed, but black holes were far off in our future, and they were not only the first, the first things we detected, thing. and it was beautiful black hole signature, but it was the first four things we detected were all wow. black hole collisions. Mm, look at that. Black holes all the time. All black holes all the time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, what's, so what's the future of this? Well, the, a wonderful thing happened not too long ago. They made an announcement that they detected the first neutron stars colliding. Mm -hmm. So neutron stars are dead stars that aren't quite big enough to become black holes. They're, they're under two times the mass of the sun, and they're dense dead stars. They're often highly magnetized. But the interesting thing, see, black holes are empty. Mm -hmm. They're just darkness, empty space. There's nothing there. Mm -hmm. So when they collide, it's in darkness. The black hole well, Just collision, to be clear, when we say that a black hole has a certain size, yes. that's not a physically... Right occupied volume. Exactly. Describe the size of a black hole. So the size of a black hole is really just the extent of the shadow that it casts mm -hmm. on the sky. By it's, convention. That's yes, what we... by convention. It's the region beyond which light cannot escape. And so it is literally just the shadow cast on the sky. If you were to... Three-dimensional shadow. Yeah. If you were cool? to... Yeah, it's uh, really good. Cool. Okay, yeah. Did you know you can have a three-dimensional shadow? Yeah, it's like... You should call it black ball, not black hole. Oh, yeah. But, oh, yeah. But what's the, what, what, what could go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> the French already objected to black hole. Did they? Yeah. Trou noir. It's offensive in French, apparently. Oh. Okay. <laughs> what do they call it? A black hole. <laughs> they gave in, you know? They gave in, yeah. Couldn't resist forever. Yeah. So so uh, that's the fascinating thing about a hole. When we think of a hole, we think of a, 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 a circle in a horizontal surface a that plane. you go through right. in a plane. Right. Whereas this is a hole in three-dimensional space. Right. You can fall into shadow. from any, any direction. direction. Yeah. Yep. Whoa. And walking into the shadow should be as harmless as walking into the shadow of a tree. Nothing's there. 
You wouldn't notice anything. Mm -hmm. You'd cross right over. There's no dense material there. There's just nothing there. So when black holes collide, it's truly a dark event, which even though this was, the first collision was the most powerful event ever detected since the Big Bang, okay. none of it came out as light. None of it. Right. So can I ask you this? If, if it did... It would be the brightest thing in the night and daytime It would have sky. outshone all the stars in the observable universe combined. Yeah. Right. So, okay, what if we don't see what's colliding, mm -hmm. okay, what is colliding? Space-time itself. Oh. So the black holes blob together. <laughs> and the shadow hold on for a distorts. Wait, just hold on. About of existential angst. Oh, God. Colliding. Then, like this blobby thing, it sheds off all its imperfections and it settles down to be one bigger one black one hole. Four. So there's a black hole out there, as far as we know, about a little bigger than 60 times the mass of the sun that's just wandering. The cosmos aimlessly, completely dark and completely quiet. But the I'm fantastic thing is they settle down. Yes, I'm only a hole. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get in my way. <laughs> so, so that's amazing. Yeah, you see it in, the, I mean, you hear it in the recording that LIGO makes. You hear it ring down. You hear it settle down to a final black hole. So, so tell me how 1.3 billion light years away, mm. we can know it's two black holes 128 times the mass of the sun, 136. Mm -hmm. What is getting modeled there? Yeah. Give us that confidence. It is, there's an old fashioned mathematical problem can you hear the shape of a drum? And it's very similar. I, if I that's bang a drum, yeah. yeah. yeah that, that's beautiful. I think I'll call, uh, that'll be the title of my memoirs. <laughs> Can you hear the shape nice. of the drum? Can you hear the shape of the drum? So we all recognize sounds. You know, our phones go off and we're like, that's my ringtone. So um, it's kind of similar. We have a prediction for how the mallets, the black holes, bang on the drum of space-time, creating a sound. And it's a very specific prediction. It's not a whole range of possibilities. We can literally hear, if I played for you our predictions, the difference between black holes that were extremely disparate in size, it sounds different. Uh, if the black holes are on wildly eccentric orbits, mm -hmm. it sounds different. Um, so you can reconstruct the motion, size, behavior, spins, of the, high of the mallets wow. with some things less confidence than others. So like the spin of the black holes is hard to determine. They're, they're both probably spinning. Mm -hmm. Some things with less confidence, but that there were two black holes with a pretty good degree of confidence. Yeah. And uh, with the masses that they were ascribed. Right, with the masses they wow. were ascribed. So you can, you can tell how big they are too because if you, you can hear the orbits, again, just like how you can hear mallets on a drum. And even those going, are, That's a weaker signal though. Well, it is, but it's 0.7 times the speed of light, and you can tell when it's done one full orbit, and that tells you how big the system is. Okay. And that means you've got, you know, the, these two black holes summing to a little more than 60 times the mass of the sun in a region only a couple hundred kilometers across. All right. So okay. how are you going to do that? Yeah, there's only one way. To yeah. Right, right. So are there any black holes tiny enough that they spin and collide and create the sound of a triangle? <laughs> <laughs> well, it is fantastic that black holes that are just a few times to hundreds of times, 10 times the mass of the sun, something in that range, actually ring space-time in the human auditory range. What? Yeah, so the LIGO as an instrument You told me that once, and I said, what are you, what are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> so LIGO as an There's instrument- There's no sound in space. It's sensitive to the range of the piano. So it's true, there's no sound in space because there's no air. And anyone who sees somebody screaming outside a spaceship is- going to write complaints 
on Twitter that they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> but if you were near enough, those two black holes, really near enough, your ear could technically ring in response to the gravitational waves. What you're saying is your eardrum that is normally set into vibration by vibrating air molecules, in this case would be set to vibrate by vibrating fabric of space-time. Yeah, it would pluck it like a... Like a, yeah, like, like a yeah. string. Yeah, like a harp string. Yeah. Ooh. Wow. That's yeah. weird. That I don't is even, weird. That's I don't, really wild. Yeah, I know. I like you it. could like if you heard that, like, get out. <laughs> <laughs> Move away. <laughs> like is imagine you would see nothing. No, no, if you heard that, you would see it's nothing. Too but you late. Hear, it's right. Right. Too bad it doesn't actually uh uh maybe if that's what it says when you hear it. Instead a of a sign. boom, it's just like a ha ha ha, you're cooked. <laughs> so so what would Hold my eardrums aside. Mm -hmm. What would my body feel if a wave went across my body? So presumably right now there are black holes colliding all over the universe. Right. And we're being squeezed and stretched. But again, it's so weak that we don't even notice. If it's strong, if it's well, strong, I say, ooh, I felt that. Or, or if it's reshaping the fabric of space and time and I occupy that coordinate... Yeah. Wouldn't I just shake with it and I wouldn't even know? Yeah, probably. Most of these... Get that, Chuck, what I was just saying? Yeah. Exactly. yeah. If you're in... You're, you're, if, I, if, I, if I draw a stick man on a rubber sheet and I bend the rubber sheet, the yeah. stick man goes with, goes it. with it. Yeah. yeah. So I think Without even knowing that he's being bent. It's just this is my, right. how I'm doing it. But the, the difference with the stick man is that we're bound together. So, for instance, your head is harder to squeeze and stretch than your eardrum. Speak for yourself. So if you were, <laughs> you know, if you were there, your ear would start resonating more willingly mm -hmm. than your head would. Gotcha. So, you know, the fact that we're bound means we're resisting to some extent. So the whole earth, when the wave passes, doesn't really notice it. It's just so atomically bound to itself. It would just be so funner I think, if, in fact, we did. Yeah, yeah. I think it's going to be more like for these long waves, it's going to be more like bobbing on an ocean, you know, which is kind of what the mirrors in the LIGO instrument do. When the wave passes, they bob on the wave. It's not that the mirror itself is being squeezed and stretched. It's that it's starting to swing. Okay. And that's what you're looking for. You're looking for the motion whole, of the mirror. It's opened a whole new way of observing the universe. Mm -hmm. Any way to bring LIGO to bear on the Big Bang itself? Uh, definitely gravitational wave experiments, but probably not LIGO. So LIGO can put limits on the Big Bang. So the Big Bang might have actually made a bang. Uh, when the universe was created, gravitational waves probably really cacophonous. It probably sounded like noise. Um, but it's, the, it's outside of really the range LIGO's optimally designed to detect. It's much uh, more likely that a space-based instrument like LISA, the Laser Interferometer Space Antenna, um, if it ever launches, that LISA would be able to detect the sound of the bang. So it would be a cacophony. Yeah, noise. Just like... Right. Yeah, and so you ask me, how do you know it's black holes? Those two things sound really different. Different, yeah. yeah. Wow. You know, black holes sound like, whoop, there's this. That was good. <laughs> Let me hear that again. <laughs> I don't know if I could do it again. It's a black hole. called a chirp. Black hole colliding. That's a black hole colliding. Those are two black holes colliding. Much less, I don't know, macho than most people expect. <laughs> it has this sort of like sweet little chirp. Has anyone thought about how you get a 30 solar mass black hole? That's a really excellent question. So not only was the first... I don't know how you make one of those. Right. And not, not only did they detect the first gravitational waves, but they actually started probing new astronomy. We had no idea there were black holes that big. The projections were for much smaller ones. And now we know there's 160 solar masses. So maybe there are 100 maybe there's or some that are bigger than that. Right. So did those already collide with other black holes to get that big? Or were right. they formed by direct collapse? Did they skip the death 
star state right. um we don't really know so that's already people are, are working on because yeah, normally if you learn about black holes in your astrophysics class uh, what did you get in your astro <laughs> my astrophysics uh i'm He's taking it with me next much, uh, okay excellent. <laughs> no, i got an incomplete that was incomplete. <laughs> i got an i got an i in astrophysics so we learned that one way to get a black hole is the end point of a high mass star right yeah. but high mass stars are 20, 30, 40, 50 solar mass, but they lose a lot of mass en route. So by the they time do. it's done, you, you don't have, right. you don't really have 30, Much 40, 50, 50, 60, 60 solar mass. No. So, and so, but now we know for a fact that we do have one because right. we watched them collide. So I go pick them there up. There are some right. people that think they're pure dark matter, that they don't form from stellar collapse, that they're not the death state of a star, that they're, they're an and example I'll tell you, of I'll dark tell you matter. this, uh, just, as, as a, just as a, as a vote for science here, anytime we have a new instrument that takes us into a parameter space where we had not previously looked. Mm -hmm. You discover stuff that nobody ordered. Right. Now you can, yeah. now, now a well-designed experiment <laughs> is, is thought up to test for something that, that you have an idea about, right? So we think we will det detect colliding black holes. You do it and oh my gosh, it's a kind of black hole we never even thought was there. Right. Right, and so so good science is that which shows that maybe you're on the right track to begin with, but then opens up whole new places that you never even knew. So now the next generation LIGO right. is going to know how to how tune to it, for, how, how to be better at what it is to for the new stuff, and they'll discover sixty solar mass black holes that will collide and say, "Damn, look out!" Look out! <laughs> no, 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 it wouldn't be. That's where you going? No, no, Chuck. It wouldn't be the '60s because the '60s would be more powerful than the '30s. All right. So it would de it would detect uh, lower mass black holes or the 30 mass black holes farther away. Farther away. Right. Also, what about something we've never even thought of before? I mean, you think of the time Galileo first pointed the telescope at the sky. He's looking at Saturn. He's looking at the sun. He's not thinking quasars and black holes. Those things aren't even mm -hmm. conceivable to him. And what we all really hope secretly is that we're going to discover stuff in gravitational waves that we couldn't possibly see in light. After all, 95% of the universe is completely dark. Right. 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 Exactly. So maybe there's something out there that we have not even thought thought of and that is what everyone hopes for to be honest mm. uh, we got to take a break uh when we come back more on the life the legacy the predictions the discoveries uh just the all over bad attitude of albert einstein start talking we're back on star talk einstein edition chuck nice we got you jan 11 Hi. Hey, thanks for coming. I'm glad to be here. A uh, uh, physicist up at Barnard in Columbia, and I just heard you, you, you taught a class this morning. I taught a class this morning. That's badass. I That's did. <laughs> I taught Gauss's law. Whose law? Beautiful. Gauss's law. Oh, Gauss's. Oh, Gauss's? Oh, yeah. Gauss. Gauss is this brilliant mathematician. Oh, I thought oh, it was the thing you get when your feet swell up because you're eating rich food. <laughs> Gauss. You, you've had Gauss yeah, before. I got the Gauss. <laughs> got a little case of the Gauss. It's, I it's more elegant than that. But yeah, Gauss is a beautiful thing. What is thing. Gauss's law? So Gauss's law is this uh, suggestion that you can look at all the flux coming out of a surface okay. and determine all the charge enclosed. It sounds very simple, but it's basically a way to understand the electric fields as sources and sinks mm -hmm. 
in the most elegant way imaginable. Like you can do these incredibly quick rapid fire calculations where you're pulling out the electric field in these very sort of symmetric situations. And what is the surface that you're looking at? It's it's an imaginary Any surface. surface oh, just an imaginary surface. So let's say I have like this table is charged. I can use Gauss's law to find out the electric field from this table by drawing an imaginary surface around and understanding how much charge is enclosed and the flux of fields in and out. It, it's it's incredibly powerful. It's Maybe I could say it shorter by forgetting what it actually says mathematically by saying it is one of the fundamental laws of electricity and magnetism. That's pretty wild. Yeah. Because what you just described, a company came out with a baby monitor that does that for <laughs> babies. I'm not lying. It takes exactly what you just said and it tells puts you how many babies are in there. It, it tells yeah, you how many babies are in the crib. No. What it does is it uses all these little flux around the baby to tell you like the baby's heart rate, the baby's temperature, how your actually the health of your baby. It's a tricorder for the crib. It's basically a tricorder for the crib, uh, for the for the crib. And whenever you go check on the crib, uh, there's a recording that goes, he's dead, Jim. Well, <laughs> it's a well, cube, Jim. There, there, electricity and magnetism is the first example of unification. And this actually relates to Einstein because he was interested in this idea of unification. So there used just to, to be, be clear, two forces. Oh, right, yeah, exactly. One. Electricity, which had to do with charges, and magnetism, which we saw in rocks and stuff. And there didn't and anybody who any knows obvious. That, anybody who's ever been electrocuted, <laughs> hello, <laughs> knows that those two things are very, very closely related. <laughs> This was the first example in the late 1800s that two seemingly totally different forces could actually be unified into one. And we could realize that electric fields and magnetic fields are different sides of the same coin. It's really one field, one force. And so that program has gone on for the past hundred years and more to realize that basically all the matter forces are just one. The electroweak theory is unified, so electromagnetism and the weak force, and the strong force easily in a grand unified theory could be, you know, a so couple Einstein of problems. So Einstein was digging this. He, he liked the unification. Wow. Yeah. How far did he get? So right, so at the time, you know, that Einstein was thinking, it wasn't all worked out perfectly, but he kind of accepted matter. It was all the matter forces, all of them were going to be one. Mm. Gravity stood apart. And and one of his why isn't gravity a matter force? I don't understand. So gravity actually is just pure space time. I mean, it's true masses interact gravitationally, but in some sense, you're not talking about in in matter forces. You can ignore space time if you wanted to, and only talk about how matter interacts with each other, like in your body in this room. I'm not really so concerned about curved space time theory. It's just mm -hmm. too right. too large scale. It's not relevant. But when you try to push those things towards each other, like in the center of a black hole, and ask how matter behaves in a very strongly curved space time. It all falls apart. We can't unify them together. There should be one theory, a theory of everything. Oh, isn't that a bias? Hope. You are bringing a it's philosophical a bias. bias. I am indeed. Question. I am bringing Confess aesthetics. right worse, now. Worse, worse. I'm bringing aesthetics. And, and yeah. the last best example of bringing aesthetics to the problem mm -hmm. was Kepler, mm -hmm. who said, wait a minute, there are five planets, because uh, Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn. There are five planets, and there are six platonic solids. Do you know about this? There's a cube, a tetrahedron. These are solid shapes where every surface is identical to every other surface, okay? Uh, a dodecahedron, an octahedron, okay? Mm -hmm. There's only five. He said, well, there's six of those and five of these. Maybe th you can embed the distances of the planets with these five solids because this is geometry and it's perfect and it's oh, yeah. the universe. And, and, yeah. and, and if it's the universe and it's, it's created by the same thing, it's, that must be it. He Nature spent, missed an opportunity. He spent 10, yeah. <laughs> oh, 
What a great answer. <laughs> Nature missed an opportunity. Yep, yep. So so he spent 10 years driven by the by the elegance and the purity and the simplicity yeah. of this idea, and it was just bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. So many people spent, you know, years since Maxwell to the 70s, 80s, successfully unifying matter forces. And they did a beautiful job. I mean, the thing is, is there was a lot of reward in the previous attempts. Why gravity is so stubborn and insists on standing apart. It plagued Einstein's thinking in his later years and has plagued an entire two, three generations of physicists. Now, maybe, so, so he got as far as he did. There's a lot of discussion about things that, that interested him in childhood, mm-hmm. like a compass, mm-hmm. like watching or thinking why, how does the compass know? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's great. Well, we have yeah. to explain today what, what a compass is. Yeah, so it's um, it's a thing you put a pencil in and it has a point <laughs> on it, and then you can draw perfect circles. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> another compass, That's right. another compass. That's another uh, compass. Yeah, yeah. yeah nobody, anybody actually use a compass? No, you got GPS. children even seen a compass? No, no. They got I GPS. Mean, you know, we had to learn about the you know compass and Plus, the compass magnetic doesn't, fields and, the, doesn't point. and poles and all that, but... Does, compass doesn't point to Santa Claus. It points to the magnetic north, not the actual north that you really care about. That's right. And any good Boy Scout knows that. Mm-hmm. And I, the girl, I've only seen the Boy Scout manual. The girl, I don't know. I'm, I would not know. You w- she said it defiantly. <laughs> I would not know. Uh, so there's a there's an angle corrector depending on your latitude on Earth. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because if you're up in Canada, your North Pole compass could be end up pointing south. Because the the magnetic pole is separated from the geographic pole. Mm. Right. So if you're up hiking around Canada, a compass is not very useful to you. Mm-hmm. Not to find Santa. <laughs> just, like, just like but the you, Canadians. It's a really, but it's an interesting <laughs> point about how yeah. the magnetic fields are invisible. And that's what intrigued mm. Einstein, right? Yeah. How does it know? That's what you're asking. And the magnetic fields aren't actually invisible. Mm-hmm. Like right now, I am seeing you because of electromagnetic fields bouncing off of your face right. and it's just that we're we can't see magnetic fields that are fairly static our eyes are really bad detectors of those gotcha. really excellent detectors of ones that wave around at a certain they frequency because they make light right. uh-huh. and so so it looks to us like there's this invisible force but it's it's something only invisible to us there are weirdly animals that can see it wait not there, many there are animals that can see the magnetic uh, fields the magnetic that, are fields that are static yeah well see is a loose Usually. word there right they they can know it's there they have a they, they have an organ that can detect it. it yeah fair enough cool right. i mean seeing is it, 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 i don't mind using the word see but we have to yeah. make fair sure enough. people know it when sure. they the see the way dogs it. see with they their nose it has some organ which detects it, it what it yeah. what emerges in their m- little minds we don't know nice fascinating you know what I want to do? We could one do day? this all night. You know, you know what I want to do? Can we wrap? Can we just hang out? <laughs> uh, what I want to do is when we perfect genetic engineering of human uh, humans, right? We go through the animal kingdom and find all the things that they have that we don't you have don't? That, that we want, right? And we didn't even think of. Okay, right. I so, want to. I want to see static fields. Good. And you know what else? I want to be able to see in the infrared like snakes. Nice. What else I want to do? I want to be able to eat a sandwich five times bigger than my head, like snakes. Like a snake. <laughs> Unhinge your jaw. And Unhinge your jaw. Yeah. Whatever you want. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'd like to be able to hear like a dog, but not smell like a dog. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I believe there's more problems than the benefits. <laughs> yeah, you got to yeah, be careful what you wish for. Exactly. Right. Plus, there are plenty of animals that um, 
regenerate limbs, something that would be hugely yeah, yeah, useful, yeah. especially for uh, uh, disabled veterans. Yeah. Right? So a newt can do it and we can't. It's right. very Here strange. we are, so we're at the top of the, the evolutionary chain. Why oh, can't oh, we do that? <laughs> oh, please, newt, can we have some of what your stuff can do? Right. Right, right. So and they, they, what happened is science will find a way to help us regenerate limbs, but then we'll actually grow a tail. So. <laughs> <laughs> it could be useful too. It is hard to predict all the possible consequences. Right. Yeah, the, the, uh, you don't always know what else it comes with. Yeah. Right. Mm. right. The, the, it's the, the full package of what, what, what it would mean if that were the case. We're always unintended consequences. Always, always. So uh, can you give us just some final reflections on Einstein's life so that if we want to think, if, if we want to live, you know how a religious person would say, I want to live the way Jesus lived, mm -hmm. right? So in the geek world, you say, I want to live the way Einstein lived. Yeah. Uh, is there anything that you can tell us? Um, I really admired above all else Einstein's independence of mind and spirit. So when everyone else was saying, oh, there's something wrong with this supposition that speed of light is a constant, that just makes no sense whatsoever. Right. Einstein- Still doesn't really make sense. It, it's really challenging. But Einstein accepts, and this is something that's often misunderstood in the idea of relativity, he accepts the rigidity of the constraint. That's what he does. Hmm. And then around that constraint, he sees where he's free to move, and it's very limited. But from this tight constraint, he makes this, like it's like squeezing a balloon in one direction and it blows out in the other direction. Like he, it leads to things that were so much more magnificent hmm. than just allowing the speed of light to not be constant. You know what's interesting <laughs> that you say that? I just thought of this now. Yeah. The... The worst thing you can tell an engineer is build this and there are no constraints and spend as much as you want. Right. It's yeah. like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. Yeah. But if you say it's got to be 30 kilos in, weight, in, in, in mass and it's got to use this much power and it's got to fly in this way and it's got to be made of these materials, go. Right. And that's where the creativity. Absolutely. Uh, and so, for example, how do you get a telescope bigger than the width of your rocket into orbit. How do you do that? Mm. And people say, oh, okay. Tell you tell the engineers. Right. They no. invent a telescope that unfurls. Unfurls. Who ordered that? Think of that. Who would have thought of that? Necessity cool. is the mother of invention. You think of it because I didn't let you do something else. Yeah. I think this and is I loved your too. reference to Einstein in that context. Thank it didn't you. constrain him, it liberated him. That's so right. I want to exactly. ask you something because you just sparked a question in me. Make it quick because we're running out of time. Out of time? Okay, so you said about Einstein and light being a constant. So when LIGO detected the pulsar, uh, the, the, the neutron star. Oh, the neutron stars, yeah. The neutron star. Yeah. When they detected that, yeah. did they make the detection and see the light at the same yes. time and since is, the light is a constant? This is why everyone was incredibly excited. It might be, uh, at the end of the day, the most highly studied astronomical event in history. Basically, some huge fraction of the entire international astronomical community turned telescopes, satellites, all kinds of instruments in the direction of the collision. We, we do that. We, yeah, it was a we, we're network. We're good about that, <laughs> astrophysicists. We, we good, we good that way. Oh, I got your back. We got your back. No, no, it's a it very amazing. important thing. I'm in the amazing. middle of my own research program, yeah. and then, in the old days, it would have been a telegram. It, right. Now it's a, oh my gosh, there's an event over here. Mm -hmm. Gotta drop it. And I have my detector, which is different from your detector, different sound. Now we have 9,200 different kinds of detectors Getting different at aspect, one event. Yeah. At one event. Yeah. And yeah. you look at this part, and I look at that part, and I look at this wavelength, yeah. and you look at that wavelength, yeah. and you put that all together. You, you, all eyes, all hands on deck. Yeah. All telescopes 
Check it out. It was really remarkable. So LIGO caught about a minute in the recording, but all of these telescopes combined caught, you know, a month. Wow. And, um, and, and it kept spiking in different wavelengths. It would go in the infrared, in the gamma ray, in the x-ray. And so all these different instruments had their, their time. Wow. Yeah, so, so we, that's, how we, that's how we roll. <laughs> collaboration, international collaboration. We got each other's back. Uh, guys, we got to uh, shut it down here, but uh, Chuck, always nice to have you. Always a pleasure. And it's even more nice to have you. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll find some excuses to talk about Einstein in the universe. Love it. Just to get you back. Love it. All right. We'll uh, you've been watching and possibly only listening to Star Talk. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. And as always, I bid you to keep looking up.